0: All right. Good morning, church. So glad you're here and worshiping with us. Hope you had a great week. Hope you are uh, excited for this morning as we continue this series that we've entitled. Why do we do that? Uh, I don't know if uh, if if you were to invite any of us over to your house for the holidays or for a normal weekend. If there would be some things that you all do that we would think is weird, any of you uh, know that for a fact, like spaghetti and syrup? Uh, if you watch the movie, you get that. But if you have not that pretext, then that would be weird. Any of you have any uh, weird traditions that you do any, at any time during the year? Raise your hand. Now, be honest. You're, you judge if it's weird. Others don't judge that, right? So we do things all the time. We, and even in today's times, we have weird things that we are doing. If if no one had been around and didn't know uh, about the COVID virus, and you were to walk into a restaurant, and you are extremely in danger while standing, but if you sit, you're completely safe. <laughs> it's truly amazing. The virus knows if you're sitting, your hands off. Uh, virus also knows the minute you walk outside, you're safe. It's just truly amazing. And so we do these weird things, and we get used to it. I hope we never get used to these masks. Amen? I hope we never get used to this. I hope we get past this. Um, but if we're not careful, the longer we go, we go, oh, this is what we do. Uh, and same thing with our family. You've heard the the story of uh, cutting off ends of meat to put in the oven Uh, And then it goes on for tradition after tradition for generations to come. And then finally someone gets a hold of great-grandma and says, why do we do that? And she says, well, it didn't fit in the pan in our original oven, so that's why we would cut it. And yet we just keep doing it. We do these weird things. And Alex just did a masterful job last week unpacking singing and worship. Uh, you all sing, and you sounded amazing. You look amazing. You raised your hands. You, you sang out. Nowhere else probably this week did you do that. Uh, and so that is weird unless we know the why. The why helps us unpack and have some kind of foundation as to why we do what we do. And so that's the entire series of what we're doing. And this morning we come to baptism. And baptism, it traditionally is absolutely amazing. We celebrate it, we yell, we scream, we clap, we take pictures. Uh, all of this for someone uh, putting their bathing suit on in front of a, uh, a crowd, uh, which is embarrassing enough, and then to be shoved underwater and bring up, and then we clap for them, uh, which is a little bit odd. And, and we here at Rock Tree Church, we've always made a big deal about this. Uh, Traditionally, at least pre-COVID, we've always done it at the McGoverns, a beautiful setting in their backyard, a park-like tree setting with an in-ground pool. And we circle around the outside of the pool, and we baptize, and we hear stories, and we all celebrate it. And it's been an incredible time. Since then, we've added a horse trough, which seems like a little bit of a step down. But nevertheless, uh, we've added a horse trough here at Rock Creek Church, if you're watching us online, maybe you've uh, been exposed to that. Maybe you haven't seen that yet, but we set the horse trough here in the stage. We do our best to get it somewhat warm, although those who have been recently baptized would say failure. Uh, it is not even close to being warm. But we, we, we grab a horse trough, and we put people in, and then they, we make them lay down in the horse trough, and we shove them up, and we bring them up, and they're dripping everywhere, and you all clap. Weird. Super weird, especially if you've never been to church. If that's your first Sunday and someone says, Hey, you know, I've asked you a hundred times, would you just please come to church? And they go, Fine, I will. And they come and they see that. What are they thinking? How weird are we, right? But the excitement level is there. But that's not always been the case. It's not as meaningful for everyone. And much like Uh, the shorelines of California, if you believe that, or the glaciers that continue to melt, the excitement level, the passion, the the commitment to baptism has slowly eroded over time. And it has at times become a tack-on. It's something we do quickly at the beginning of the service or quickly at the end of the service with very little fanfare and very little explanation, save Rock Creek Church. I believe we do a great job with it. But when you look at the larger church, that is what begins to happen. But you see, since the time of Jesus Christ, baptism and and the believers that have participated in that baptism, sometimes with great ceremony and, and clapping and excitement and other times in contemplation and reverence, regardless of the style, the emotional and visual. These are two important terms. Remember that. The the visual and the emotional appeal of this confessional act is at the very heart of those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. So baptism has a significance for the individual believers, but also for the church, and even more for non-believers. So what we're going to do and Much like worship, and Alex struggled with this last week, is we literally could spend months unpacking all of these whys. There is so much theologically, there is so much biblically, there is so much practically as far as why we do certain things. But for time's sake, what we're gonna do is just grab three Fundamental reasons so that you will be prepared. If you have a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor that goes, Why do you guys baptize? You're going to get three very practical reasons that you can easily respond to that question. Now, is it deeper than that? Yes. Is there more to it? Yes. Is there reasons of, of what happens and what doesn't happen in baptism? Yes to all of those, but I'm assuming you don't want to be here for eight hours. So, what we're going to do is just look at three primary reasons, why do we do it? Why do we baptize? And the first one is baptism is an act of obedience. That is the first and last primary reason why do we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can begin with this. Jesus Christ, who, if there was anyone who said, I don't have to do fill in the blank, It was Jesus. Can we agree with that? And yet, in obedience, Jesus himself was baptized. Now, one of the things we hear a lot, whether it's singing and worship that Alex talked about last week, or baptism, or giving, or whatever you want to say is, I am saved because I have faith in Jesus Christ because he died for my sin. I don't have to do anything else. And I would say, for salvation's sake, we could argue that, but I would probably side with you. But that doesn't mean that there isn't obedience attached to it. And obedience is a key characteristic of the follower of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. If we really want to unpack why do we baptize, it is surely in obedience. Some of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples in his famous threefold instruction in Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20. This is what he says, make disciples, baptize those who believe and teach his commands. Reader's Digest version. But those are his threefold commands. As you go forward, you're going to have a lot to do. But what I want you to focus on, what I want you to make sure happens in the church, is I want you to make, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, make but also be a disciple baptize those who believe and teach them his commands. That's it. That's the essence of the church. That's the essence of what we are called to do. And so if no other reason, we baptize because Jesus told us to. Uh, some of you have really little kids. And one of the things that you'll hear very, very frequently is this three-letter little swear word, 3 letter swear word called "why," And you'll hear it repeatedly. And you will have to muster every bit of patience and strength that you can not to physically remove that word from their body. <laughs> because it is extremely frustrating. The first few times, not so bad. When you start getting into triple digits, it can test your patience. However... When it comes to the things that we do as followers of Jesus, that's a very healthy word, if done in the right way. Not in a condescending way or a malicious way, but in a way that wants to understand, and not just understand blindly, to truly understand. Why do we baptize? Well, for starters, Jesus told us to. During the 1992 destruction of Hurricane Andrew, some of you remember that, Uh, down in Florida, it was devastating. There was a television crew that was on scene and read this article about it this week, and they're uh, traveling around, and much like we do in every natural disaster here in the U.S. or really all around the world, and they were filming uh, the destruction. And as the film crew uh, filmed, uh, it centered on a house in the middle of nowhere where everything was destroyed except for this one house. This one house stood in the midst of devastation. And there was an older gentleman out there in front of this house cleaning up his yard while everyone else was devastated. And the camera and the news crew focused on this house and this gentleman. And the news team approached this home and they began to ask the gentleman, how in the world... In the midst of all this destruction, did your house survive? How do you explain this? Everywhere we look, there's debris and destruction and death and brokenness. How in the world did you and yours survive? I, I, and as I was reading this, I thought of our very own John McGovern. That's who I thought of. I thought of John out there who followed the rules, did what he was supposed to, hardworking, smart, and, and film crew asking John McGovern. And here's what the man told this young reporter. I built this house myself. I also built it according to the Florida State Building Code. When the code called for 2 by 6 roof trusses, I used 2 by 6 roof trusses. I was told that the house built according to the code could withstand a hurricane. I did, and it did. I suppose no one else around here followed the code. <laughs> That's not about right, John? So let's not miss this. This is really important, because sometimes we need to remember we are children of the living King. We are children of the Father. And sometimes the Father tells us to do something. We might not fully understand why. It may not make sense to us. We might not even agree to it. Do what I said. Much like what you would say to your young children. So we can't miss this. Obedience is a characteristic of the follower of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28:20 20, again Jesus said that we should teach new believers to what? To observe everything I have commanded you. Don't leave anything out. Everything I've commanded you, make sure new believers know those things. Some of you in this room, some of you are, that are joining us online are new believers. There's a lot to get to know. There's a lot of understanding. There's a lot of rules and regulations, if you would, on the surface level. But then as you dig deep, you find they're not rules and regulations at all. They're actually life-giving direction. So baptism is an act of obedience for both the new believer and the church. Because the church participates in it. So that's the first why. We got that one down so far? as obedience to Christ's command. Number two, and this is a doozy, baptism is an opportunity to witness. Someone asks you, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, why do you guys do that with the horse trough thing? Number two, baptism is an opportunity to witness. Now, here's what's interesting. Baptism, in in large part, is symbolism. It's an outward expression of an inward transformation. I'm outwardly proclaiming something that Jesus has already done for me in a very public way. Now, he could have given us any instruction to do that. If you want to symbolically represent what I've done for you, go build a fire and dance around it 12 times. That, That could be the instruction. He didn't choose that. It could be, hey, eat as many donuts as humanly possible once a year, and that will symbolize what I've done for you. He didn't do that, unfortunately. He gave us baptism. And the New Testament and the extensive church history, if you choose to study that, seems to indicate that baptism served as an initial profession of faith to the early believers. Let's look at several scripture passages here. We're not going to read them, but you can take note of them or take a picture. They're all on the, on the same slide. We, we see that after Philip preached, to G, uh, preached Jesus to the Ethiopian, the new believer's initial request was to be baptized in Acts chapter 8. You can read about that. We read when the Philippian jailer responded to the preaching of Paul and Silas, he and the believing members of his family, meaning he went home and told them what he had been exposed to, they all got baptized. The same is true for Lydia, Acts chapter 16. For Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. And for the Corinthians, Acts chapter 18. And many, many others. And for these believers, baptism often was a silent witness. Silent often because of the persecution that could be exposed to them but it was still a silent witness, an outward expression of this inward transformation that symbolized very powerfully their new faith and a new way of life. And one of the things we talk about very, very frequently is that being baptized doesn't guarantee you anything. It doesn't guarantee that you're gonna be super-Christian. It doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to read the book of Numbers with uh, with just absolute passion and excitement, that you're just a super-Christian because you got baptized. That's not the case. But it does represent a new life, a choosing of a new life, responding to God choosing you. And that's powerful. Hunter, literally right where I'm standing a couple of years ago, dunking him, held him down for a second or two longer than I probably should have, and bringing him up out of the water And since then, marriage, discipleship, life groups, running the camera, learning the scriptures, growing in faith, a new way of life. So how is baptism this witnessing opportunity for us? If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Romans chapter six, verses one through four. You can turn your Bibles on, there's tons of Bibles in the seats in front of you. Uh, We're going to go, several of our passages will be on screen. Three of them we're actually going to turn to. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is out of New Living Translation. And the title of this section is, Since Power is Broken. I'm sure thankful for that. Verse 1 tells us, well then, should we keep on sinning? So that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Notice there doesn't say anything about perfection. That's good news for at least me, hopefully you as well. But it does say a new life, a new priority, a new passion. That's what's awarded to us in our salvation, and baptism represents that our baptism is a witness to the saving work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And as a symbol, baptism, stay with me on this, visually reenacts that. And that's a gift. Because God very easily could have just said, hey, as much as you can remember. Well, we know as we get older, our remembering gets more difficult. So he gave us ways to remember. He gave us communion to remember. He gave us baptism to remember. Two significant ordinances of the church as a gift. Because he could have saved that for himself. And I believe we, meaning the church at large, we have to continue to capture the gift of baptism so that we can remember. And baptism is a dramatic representation of Christ's redemptive work. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's just a handful of pages to your right. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says, let, we, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. In other words, we've been through all of this, but it's so good, let me do it again. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it now. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place, I passed on to you what was most important, and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. And it gets even better than that. Baptism is also a witness of what happens at salvation, Romans 6.3 declares that in salvation, we have been baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death. We participate with him. You ever have, uh, I've made the mistake of doing this just as a dad uh, throughout the years, where I just do something and the kids want to help and I'm like, that is just going to add like four hours to the project if you help. Anybody else? Now, sometimes I'll go, all right, be good dad, be good dad, include them. And other times I just am like, I just got to get it done. God doesn't want to just get it done. And you stand over here, stay away from it. You're not going to participate in it. You're not going to participate in any of my life, death, and resurrection. Just, I'll give you salvation. Just hold on. No, he says, I'm going to allow you to participate in that. That participative grace. Grace. Why? Because he's so relational. He cares deeply for you. He cares deeply for your highs and your lows, your struggles. But he also cares about his relationship with you as an individual. Yes, he's got his eyes on the globe. Yes, he's got his eyes on what is happening in in the big C church. But he also cares about you. And baptism symbolizes that as Christ died, was buried, and rose again, so the believer has died, has been buried not to body, but to self, and is now new life in Jesus Christ. That he or she is a new creation with a new future. That's amazing. All of that kind of in baptism. Colossians chapter two, verses 12 through 14. It'll be on the screen, and for those of you at home on your screen, and the message, it says this. Going under the water was burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old, sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to, the, to Christ's cross, amen? Yeah. New life, brand new life, new hope, new help, new comfort, new love, new peace that was never awarded to you outside of Christ. And aren't you glad you've not been left in your old, sin-dead self? That is good news, my friends. We don't like old, we like new. We like new shoes, we like new socks. I love putting on a brand new pair of socks. We like new sheets, we like new phones. We like new haircuts, if you're blessed with that. We like new Christmas sweaters, Grant Hansen. We like new TVs. We like new books. We like new. We don't really like old. And it's the same thing with Jesus. He knows that. And what greater gift could he give than for you to be made new? And today... We love new, and you have either been made new or you can be made new. That's what's represented in this room. That's what's represented online. You either have been made new or you can. The offer is available to you at every minute of every day. You see, being a new creature in Christ is reflected even in the term baptism. Baptism. The Greek term baptizo means to plunge, which we like to do here, to drown, which we try not to do, or sink, which we never do. It was commonly re- referred to and used in the first century to dye clothing, to, to dip the clothing into the dye, and then it comes out looking completely different. That was the baptizo. That was the, the baptizo, and then it was ascribed to faith, and this faith journey. The, the cloth came out of the dye vat looking different than when it went in. And being a new creature in Christ means that our lives have changed. We, we could, if we had time, I could grab several of you and bring you up, hand you the microphone and go, describe life pre-Christ, describe life now. And you would be in awe of the drastic changes. As believers adopt a Christ-like character, the change, this is where the witness comes in, becomes evident to those around them. I remember when I decided to get uh, serious with my faith in Jesus, I had several friends go, what's wrong with you? How come you don't fill in the blank anymore? How come you won't join us with this anymore? And I was too sheepish and and, and embarrassed, and, and so I made up excuses. I didn't just go, well, I'm following Jesus now. Uh, I should have, um, but I was too scared to do so. But they saw evidence of change in my life. And baptism, in part, symbolizes that change. But it's bigger than just the individual being baptized. Baptism is also a witness to non-believers. It's amazing. God uses his plan to do the remarkable. Not only is it special for the individual, not only is it special for the individual's family members, not only is it special for the church, it's special to those who want nothing to do with God. At Gilgal, Joshua set up 12 stones from the Jordan River. The stone served as both a memorial to the saving acts of God and a way to teach subsequent generations to come. About the God who had delivered them. Joshua chapter 4, if you want to turn to that. Joshua chapter 4, uh, 21 through 24. Joshua's a little harder to get to, I can't really describe. Just go to the left. Starting verse 21. If you're there, say word. Right on. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, hey, what do these stones mean? Any pictures kids doing that? And then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. And he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord, your God, forever. That is the same kind of thing that happens in the lives of those who have yet to experience saving faith. Hey, why why did they shove you underwater again? It's a testimony to what God has done in my life one of the reasons why we have people like Hunter sign our, our horse trough. Maybe we should just start calling it a baptismal tank. It's, it seems less ghetto. That's why we have them sign the baptismal tank, horse trough. Because it's a reminder. It's a reminder what God has already done. New believers will often ask friends and relatives, hey, I'm being baptized on Sunday. Would you like to come? And they come and they sit in the seats that you, you dear people sit in right now and they watch and they observe. Some of whom are non-believers. Some who have maybe fragments of knowledge of Jesus but, but some, to be sure, complete non-believers. And they're unfamiliar with this exciting ordinance of God. And then they'll ask you, hey, why, why is he holding people underwater? Others will wonder about the significance. Like, tell me more about that. And listen, don't miss this. This is very important. The Holy Spirit can use the act of baptism as an initial point of entry into the lives of those who will eventually come to faith. Because the Spirit works in the heart to sit back and go, I need to know more about that. And if we handle it right, and if the Lord chooses to to work on the heart, then that individual is exposed to ultimate truth. And not just ultimate truth, ultimate life that changes everything. And because of this, the very act of baptism can serve as a powerful witness to the saving work of Christ. So, all of that in the witness. So, why do we baptize? Number one. Act of obedience. Well done. Good. All right. I feel like one of you teachers in here, it's like, dude, I gave you the answers to the test. Act of obedience. Number two, it's a witness. Number three, baptism is an open door into the church. The early church clearly took seriously this concept of uh, church membership of who were born again. In Acts chapter two, verse 47, you can read about this later, it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Over and over and over, I'm just gonna keep adding to your number. People are being saved. And friends, this is in part the next journey of Rock Creek Church where we need to get to. An expectation that the Lord is going to add to our number daily those who are being saved. Because if we are truly living the life, if we are on mission, this becomes a part of any church that proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? It has to be a part of who we are. And Peter's preaching earlier in Acts chapter 2 tells us that those who repented and received Christ were immediately baptized. That's what happened. We have lost that. It's become an option. Here's what we know. The first church was made up for those who were saved and were thus baptized. And because of this, and in spite of some of these obviously uh, obvious cultural issues, issues between the the first century church and today's church, I believe, according to the scripture, that the mandate for congregational inclusion still includes baptism. Why is that so important? The late Alabama native Dr. Herschel Hobbs wrote in his biblical commentary these words. Whereas one is born again into the church general, he or she becomes a part of a local church through the believer's baptism. To the local church, Jesus committed the two ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper that in in their observance, the church might witness to his saving work in its locality. At baptism, the new believer is making a commitment to Christ and he or she is identifying to a particular congregation. Too often, what's happening in today's times is faith, much like a lot of our world, is becoming very individualistic. It's my faith. It's my beliefs. It's my theology. It's my understanding of Scripture. It's my act of remembering, and it's me focused, and nothing could be farther from God's heart. We were never, ever, ever intended to do this alone. This meaning life. And not just life, you know, going to the grocery store and raking leaves and doing Christmas. Life meaning church and faith. And at baptism, we identify also with a congregation. And the church body has a responsibility in that as well. And that is to take someone like Hunter Thank you for being my example, is to take someone like Hunter and walk with them to help mold their heart, to expose them to more of the love of Jesus, to help them understand the scriptures, to, to help understand the orthodoxy of the Christian faith, to understand uh, what, what theological truths mean to the individual. That's the job. And being part of that local church means that the congregation takes that new Christ follower to encourage him or her in a personal faith and to support the new believer as a brother or sister and as a friend. You become family. It's not a church I attend. It's a church who is my family. Notice the difference? You can attend a PTA meeting. You can attend a a city council meeting. But when you belong to a church, it's family. And, and I would say, if, if the Lord would allow me the ability to be proud, that's Rock Creek Church. That's who we are. If you're new around here, if this is your first, second, third, fourth Sunday, that's where you find yourself. We're not a religious institution. We're not just something that we open the doors and and do something real quick and scatter you out of here so you can go get, you know, to Applebee's for lunch. This is family, and it might take us a while to earn your trust, but we care. We care when, when you're going through highs. We want to celebrate with you. We care, as we have over the last few months, when you're going through lows, and, and we'll weep with you. We'll celebrate graduations and, and new births. We'll, we'll celebrate uh, different things happening. Zach up here on the, on the keys, we'll celebrate. But we'll also walk with you. And Alex told you about this, that's, that's life groups. Because we can do it in part here, but you really get to have your name known in a life group. And so that's the church's responsibility when we baptize and we celebrate is we embrace and we highlight. This is the biblical pattern and the answer to why do we baptize. As, as long as the church has existed, baptism has been taught as an integral part of worship and witness to God's people. So may we at Rock Creek never diminish that. May we never water it down. May we never tack it on at the end or shove it in the front so we can get it over with. May we never do that. Baptism should be a time of celebration for the believer and for the church. And every time we baptize, we should recognize the importance of public faith being proclaimed. My oldest child just turned 20 years old. Naomi. And I remember the exact day when Naomi was born. And I and you get a wristband so that they can identify those who steal things, I guess. I got a wristband and and Naomi was born. Sandy was resting. I was starving. So I went downstairs and I got in the elevator and someone got in with, with me. And I turned to them and said, I had a baby. And then I corrected, my wife had a baby, but we had a baby, you should go see her. I was so proud. I got downstairs and I was in the food line looking for food and anybody who had the unfortunateness of getting next to me, I said, I just had a baby. You should go see her. And I remember getting in, the, in line to pay for the food and I got up to the front and the cashier looked at me and she said, is that it? I said, no, I had a baby. You should go see her. She's the big one. She was 10-10. Yeah, how do you like that? I said, you can't miss her. She takes up three cribs. She's the one reading. But my heart, this already happened. But my band represents, I want to tell you about it. It's the only symbol I have as a dad. I don't have any other symbol. I don't have a baby pack. I don't have a pack and play. Like, I I don't have anything. I'm walking around the hospital. My band is the only thing that I have to witness of what just happened. It's my symbol. And anyone who is willing, and even if they weren't, I told them about my sweet Naomi Grace Hayes that another child of God had been born. And baptism is you showing off what God has done for you. Shouting it from the rooftops to anyone who will listen, and even if they won't. And to know that God uses that to not only celebrate you, but to edify his church, his bride. And so I want to invite you this morning. We're going to close, as we always do. We're going to to close with worship team. You guys can all come up. And we're going to practice what, what Alex taught us so well last week. And we're going to practice the words he taught us so well last week in saying the next chapter, the next journey, the next stage of this dear church will begin and end with our passionate response in worship. It will begin with a transparency standing before our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It will begin with unbridled passion to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For he and he alone is worthy of such praise. Nothing else, nothing else in your life is worthy for you to give all. That's why we baptize. Let's stand and let me pray for us as we launch into worship through song. Lord, we thank you for the ordinance of baptism. We thank you for what it represents. We thank you for, for us as a church to clap and scream and yell and celebrate when that happens. When we see someone like Hunter who responds to your love, that he didn't get to a place where he fully understands everything. He responded to a prompting in his heart here in a Sunday morning off to my left. And the baptism is what followed to proclaim that from the rooftops. And we thank you so much for the gift of worship that we can do exactly that, that we can proclaim you from the rooftops of your goodness. You have been so good to us When we routinely turn our back on you and see sin as more valuable, more enjoyable, more life-giving. And then when by grace we realize that we have been so wrong, we turn to the right or to the left and we see the Father's arms wide open saying, bring it in. I love you. I forgive you. I've always forgiven you. I make you new today. And so God, thank you for the gift of song. Thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for the gift of being able to pour out what's in our heart. And for those who maybe struggle this morning in feeling that passion, may the rest of us who have it catch them up in that wave of commitment. For we love you. And we give you this day. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.